Lord, as we come to your words tonight and hear those words, devote yourselves to prayer. We come before you asking that you would teach us to pray and asking too that in the company of our brothers and sisters that you would strengthen us and bring us to maturity that we would live this week to honour you. Guide our thoughts and our hearts, we pray. Amen. We spend a lot of time talking trivia, the weather. I tell my students in the English class, always learn lots of words about the weather, always agree with anyone who makes a comment about the weather. It's a lovely day, yes it is. It's a bit cold, yes it is. It's a bit windy, yes it is. Just agree, don't have an argument. I once went to a garden party in London and this man must have spent 20 minutes talking about the times of trains and the train he had to catch every morning and if he got this one it got him there five minutes earlier than if he got that one and I just after about 15 minutes I could hardly hold my face to look interested in what he was saying but perhaps that's a luxury because here in St Andrews you just jump on a bike. You don't have to negotiate uh, the underground. And prices of things, how much things cost. We spend a lot of time living on the surface. And that's fine, that's good. But sometimes words take on a great significance. And you'll see it sometimes in films. The detective is just about to go out the door. He's asked some questions and then he turns around and he says something that's the solution to the murder. Or perhaps there's a couple at a window of a train and just before the train moves off, someone says very, something very meaningful and it's lost in the noise and the crowd. Or perhaps at the end of a telephone call, the stuff of the heart, the stuff that matters, comes out. And here we have Paul at the end of this letter that we have been reading in these last few weeks, coming to the end, and he has some important things he wants to say to the people of Colossae. Things that in the darkness of his prison cell have seared themselves into his soul, things that mean everything to him, and he wants to pass them on just at the end of the letter. What do I do? Press this? Press that. Could you press it, please? Who opens doors? An important question for a person in prison. Perhaps people with keys. Keys are funny things, aren't they? They're so small. They're so easily lost. They're so light. And yet, 
these little keys open vast doors. And when doors are open, the light comes in, people can walk through them, the new possibilities are available, you can see new things, you can move from one scene to another. Who opens doors? And sitting there in prison, it must have been hellish for an action man like Paul. The stuffy, dingy cells, the chunky chains, the leg cramps, the muscle weakness, the uncertainty about the future, the frustration of not hearing all the news he would love to hear. All these will constantly remind Paul that he's helpless, that he's very, very limited, that he's at the mercy of the people that hold the keys, rough, sneering, callous soldiers and magistrates. And perhaps every so often the monotony and the long, growing wait would be broken with the jangle of keys, the grinding of a heavy door, the sight, perhaps just for a minute, of a, a passage or another room. And perhaps sometimes these interruptions would be welcome, welcome because they'd come with food or perhaps news. But perhaps on other occasions, they would just bring stress because there'd be more questions, more accusations. And for me, it seems very moving at the end of this letter that Paul writes about doors. And this great apostle enlists humble, wobbly, new believers in Corinth to pray, to pray for him, to pray for an open door. Not so that he can carry on with his life, not because he's annoyed at being in prison, not because he feels he deserves better treatment, perhaps a walk or some light or nicer food or a comfier bed. But verse 3, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. And perhaps even as the jailer pulls the door shut behind him and turns the key, Paul remembers that in the work of the church, in the business of mission, it's only God who opens doors. And God opens doors, yes, in two ways, I think, here in this passage that we have before us. First of all, God opens um, doors through prayer, perhaps the one before, yeah. God opens doors through prayer. Because for Paul, prayer isn't the last thing that he does, it's a priority. And he understands that this is the way that God chooses to act. We don't understand why or how, but somehow through prayer, we celebrate God's sovereignty, but at the same time, we become co-workers with him in what he's doing. Paul realizes that he can do absolutely nothing, but in prayer, he aligns himself with God who can do everything. As an imprisoned preacher and teacher, he knows that clarity and opportunity come through God's spirit by prayer. And so he encourages the Christians in Colossae to devote themselves to prayer. Persistent and persevering prayer. Watchful and thankful prayer. 
And as they train themselves in the practice and the language of prayer to God, so their words to others will be winsome and full of grace. So they'll be prepared to speak the gospel truth at any point. He says, you see in verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you'll know how to answer everyone. I saw a lovely example of this in this magazine by Latin Link. And it tells a story of a couple called Jenny and Neil who have gone to Santiago in Chile to work. And they're working with a church there. And the church has had trouble relating to the um, people who are around them. The people around them are a bit suspicious of them. The church doesn't know quite what to do. And this couple, Jenny and Neil, have gone to be involved in building bridges between the community and the church. They're the couple on the right. And um, they have various plans, they said, but they had to change them to be open to what God was doing and his timing rather than theirs. So they've started a conversation club for people who want to practice English. They've started a homework club for children at school, a marriage course, a cafe, and various other activities. And they talk about all that they long to do in Santiago. But it was this little paragraph that I loved that was entitled, From Hostility to Affection. And they were talking about a man there in that neighborhood. We were warned by people in the church and neighbors about one man who was hostile to the church. He was culturally Catholic and involved in local politics, but disliked our presence. He was, however, interested in learning English. After repeated conversations in the street, invitations to the English club and several cups of coffee, he tentatively started to come. Through months of conversation and investment in his life, he's now one of the most affectionate members of the community towards us, even preparing a song for us on the last night of the club. He has since attended a church service, brought us homemade jam, and encouraged others to attend the activities. Making the most of every opportunity, conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt. When God opens doors through prayer, no one can shut them. But then Paul has another brilliant uh, visual aid about prayer, and that's in the person of Epaphras. It was Epaphras who originally took the good news of Jesus to the people in Colossae. He was the one who opened the door for them in the first place. And here we have a description uh, of Epaphras in verse 12. Epaphras, who is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Paul has poured his energies into writing this letter, explaining how the Christians there can stand firm in the face of evil 
and powers that threaten to enslave them. He has tried to persuade them to be mature and hopeful. But actually, Epaphras is the one who's wrestling, wrestling alongside Paul in prayer, wrestling in prayer that this will happen in the lives of the Christians. And although Epaphras is far from home, perhaps 100 miles away uh, with Paul, he is doing the hard work of praying for the people there. He's holding them before the Father so that they will grow in faith. It's a beautiful description, I think, of Epaphras always wrestling in prayer. Hudson Taylor was the founder of uh, the CIM, China Inland Mission, now called uh, OMF, uh, which works a lot in Asia, has many, many missionaries throughout the world. He committed his life to Jesus at the very moment that his mother was begging God on her knees that he would come to faith in Christ. And because of that, because he was so aware that as he was reading and thinking and then when he committed his life to God, because he was so aware that at that very moment his mother was saying, I'm not going to stand up until my son um, is part of God's family. Prayer was so important to Hudson Taylor and in his writings and in all the work that he did traveling and encouraging people to share the good news of Jesus across Asia, prayer was the first port of call for him. And this quotation, this watchword, he was one that really mattered to him and guided his methods in evangelism to move people through God by prayer alone. And sometimes when I'm really frustrated and I want to get someone and shake them, I have to sort of tell myself to move people through God by prayer alone. It will do so much better for them than me shaking them. And so as you come to talk to people that you meet this week about Jesus, just in your everyday chat, perhaps in the Alpha class, in whole groups, do you really believe that God opens the doors of people's hearts through prayer? Do you really believe that the chains of cynicism and fear and prejudice which bind your friend, preventing her from coming to Jesus, will only be broken through prayer? Do you believe that eyes and hearts can only respond to the mystery of Jesus through prayer? And if you do, how then is that conviction translated into your prayer life, both as an individual and when you're praying with other Christians? Paul, in the darkness of that cell, with the door shut, has a strong, strong conviction that God opens doors through prayer. But secondly, Paul believes that God opens doors through people. And as Paul prays in that prison cell, he watches and he's thankful. He watches his companions, people that he calls his co-workers that work with him, Tychicus and Onesius, who he's actually sending to the people that he's writing to, Aristarchus and Mark and Justus and Luke and Demas who are with him. 
His words ooze with love and affection and gratitude for the special gifts that they have brought to him at a time when he felt so weak and so vulnerable and so restricted. Because each one of them has been used by God to open doors. In the darkness of the prison, their news and their encouragement have been like shafts of light, windows beyond the confines of prison. Their practical support with food and blankets are like the physical hands and the heart of Jesus. Their prayers and their company, their concern for Paul and for the Colossi Church remind him of the bonds of Christian fellowship that are stronger than any iron chains. Paul doesn't know the people in Colossae personally. He's never actually been there. But because of this connection, because he brought Epaphras to Christ and then Epaphras told the good news to the people of Colossae, he just feels this special connection with them. And as he writes, the fact that he has brothers and sisters in Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis, even if he's never met them, it warms his heart because God is building his kingdom through these people. God is opening doors through faithful, trusted co-workers. And just as I read their names, I just feel very moved. Luke, Demas, Tychicus, Aristarchus, Nympha, who has the church meeting in her house, Onesimus. What a lovely bunch of names. Don't you want to just hug them? And as you catch little snippets about their lives... Don't you admire the way that they have just put their lives on hold? They have devoted their whole lives to the work of the gospel of Jesus. And Paul sees their loyalty, their faithfulness, their complete devotion to Jesus. In the work that I do with uh, international students, quite often I get letters or emails from people that I've never ever met on the other side of the world And they say, so-and-so is coming from our Bible study in Taiwan or in France or in wherever, and they're coming to St. Andrews. Please, can you find them and welcome them? They are my co-workers in the gospel of Jesus. And when those same students go to other parts of the world, to Africa, to America, to Asia, I find myself writing emails to people that perhaps I've never met either, saying, please will you make sure that these, my friends, are cared for and loved. And I feel, I think one of the things that I like most about it is that I'm part of a team, a team that I've never met in many cases, but a team who I know work alongside me and alongside a host of other people in the work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, there in that closed prison cell, wants to encourage and just extend this sense of partnership. And so it's interesting, there was this little comment about verse uh, 16. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. He's wanting the churches to swap letters because I think he wants to encourage this sense of partnership, of being part of God's family. 
I think God honours every commitment to prayer and joint action that believers make. I think doors are open in ways that we can't begin to imagine when as brothers and sisters in Christ we work together. That's why it was good to hear a bit from Angus um, about the Baptist Union Assembly. This is last year's one, so you won't see Angus in the front row. Um, But the Baptist Union Assembly brings people from Baptist churches across Scotland to encourage each other, to share um, what is happening in the different churches, to deepen um, the, the bonds of friendship and love and interest and prayer. On Tuesday, um, St. Andrews hosts a service to give thanks to God for the Reformation, and the different churches in St. Andrews will meet in Holy Trinity together to uh, pray, to ask forgiveness for mistakes that have been made, and to commit themselves together to the work of God here. The Christian Union does a great job with people from different churches meeting together for the sake of telling fellow students about Jesus. We've also had in the middle there, oh, the top one is meant to be a cheese toasting. I'm not sure if it comes out. (laughs) And below is the Holy Trinity without the people, but on Tuesday, let's hope that there are plenty, including you. But in the middle is the church uh, in Alexandria, and it's been great... Uh, uh, Aeon's church here for us to begin to get to know the people in Alexandria. We've met Nello's family and Rebecca uh, and there have been two or three visits to Alexandria. We're hoping the young people will come here. We have so much to learn from each other and uh, when I was there this summer even though I couldn't understand Romanian, even though I didn't know what anyone was saying, there was a sense of this deep partnership and love because we loved Jesus. I was reading another magazine the other day, and this is um, a magazine called Transform, which talks about the work of Langham Partnership. Um, And Langham does many things, um, but it really is, there are three main things. Langham Partnership vision is to see churches equipped for mission and growing to maturity in Christ through the ministry of pastors and leaders who believe, teach, and live by the word of God. So they really encourage preaching, they encourage literature, And also they encourage uh, scholars, people um, who perhaps come from countries where there are not so many resources for uh, research and for learning, to encourage uh, scholars to to go to a different place to do research and to um, know more so that they can teach uh, in their own countries. And the work is done uh, all over the world. And I found myself reading um, about a chap who's here um, on the right called Alexander. And I was really interested because it said that he'd come to study in St. Andrews in 2014. I'm really sorry I've not met him. 
But what I liked about this was he wasn't too sure what to do because he didn't have a huge amount of money. Uh, he had a family with two daughters uh, and his wife, and that was going to cost too much for the whole family to come over. And so they made the decision, a sacrificial decision for him to come over to Scotland and the family, Tanya and daughters Olesia and Taya, would remain in Odessa in Ukraine. Then he began to look for somewhere to live. And there was nowhere that was cheap um, and, and okay for him to, to be able to, to live here. Just three weeks before he was due to travel here to Fife, with still no accommodation in place, an email from the pastor of Leaven Baptist Church was a huge encouragement. This was followed up by a call from a local family who kindly offered to host Alexander for three years with room and board. They even showed him his room on Skype. And so in the midst of a difficult decision to come to Scotland without his family, Oleska was reassured that God was going ahead of him. The article is a lovely article that talks about how the people in Leaven Baptist, and that's their logo there, and when Steve at the bottom is his supervisor, how, how they really took him to their hearts. He was part of a house group, and um, another church, Straven Evangelical Church, wanted to support a scholar, and so they um, made contact with him as well, and now and again he would go across to Straven and meet the people there in the church. They raised money so that his family could come and visit him. And this struck me here as a beautiful, a beautiful partnership as well. God opening the doors, what seemed impossible for him in terms of finance, in terms of accommodation, in terms of how he would survive without his family. God provided somewhere for him to live. God provided him with a family in Leaven Baptist Church. God provided him with an opportunity for his family to come and visit him. Pray for Alexander working in the next two chapters of his PhD. I gather he's still uh, working on it. And uh, his uh, research is um, analysis and critical assessment of the church structures of the Ukrainian Baptist Union in dialogue with the ecclesiology of Oxford theologian Paul Fidis. What a mouthful. close, there's two little bits of speculation in my head about this interesting letter. The first one is this letter that Paul wrote to Laodicea. What happened to it? What did it say? How was it different from this letter to the Colossians? We'll never know. But if Paul could write to St. Andrew's Baptist... Now, what would his letter say to us, I wonder? What would Paul say to us about the priorities in our life as a church? What would Paul say to us about how God wants to open doors? And the second thing that just got me thinking was this interesting cryptic message um, to Aristarchus, uh, sorry, Archippus in verse 17. See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. What was it 
it looks as if probably um, Aristarchus was part of uh, Philemon's household. Later on in the letter to Philemon, um, Aristarchus is included uh, in the address there. Is he Philemon's son? Does he work there as as a, a manager? We don't know, and it doesn't matter. But I wonder what it was. What was this ministry? What was this task that God gave him to do? Was he lazy? Was he dragging his feet? Did he start something with great enthusiasm and then stop, give up? Did he get distracted because something else was over there? Was it because the door seemed to be closed and he couldn't open it? I don't know. But whatever it was, I asked myself the question. If Paul wrote that to me, what would it refer to? What is the ministry that God has given me, that God has given you, that God has given us, that he wants us to complete? Tonight, perhaps, is God saying to me, to us, just do it. God is the one, Paul realizes, who opens doors. He opens doors through prayer. He opens doors through people. God is the one who opens doors, even when it looks as if we're in prison. But then beautifully, the last word in verse 18, the last word of this little letter is about grace. Grace be with you, verse 18. Grace in the prison of our circumstances. Grace in loneliness and worry. Grace as we wrestle in prayer. Grace as we seek God's kingdom together. Grace as we establish and maintain partnerships in Christ's name. Grace, grace, grace. Grace be with you. Amen.